All right, Matthew chapter 18, starting in verse 7. Let's take from there. Jesus is speaking. He says, Woe to the world for temptations to sin. For it is necessary that temptations come, but woe to the one by whom temptation comes. And if your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life crippled or lame than with two hands or two feet to be thrown into the eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into the hell of fire. God, we thank you for your word. Lord, I just I pray for you to, to speak to us this morning. Give us understanding uh, of sin. That's the topic this morning. Topic of this chapter, Lord. Help us to have your eyes, open our eyes to see things as they truly are. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. He says, woe to the world for temptations to sin. Woe, that's not a word we use very much. Um, it's like saying, what hardship there is in the world because of, right? What distress, what trouble, what misfortune. And, and if that was just a statement with a blank at the end, what woe to the world for blank, what distress, what trouble the world has because of blank. What would you fill in there? I don't think the first thing I would have filled in there if it wasn't in this passage would be, well, for temptation to sin. What would you fill in there? Have you ever played the game, Would You Rather? Kids like to play that. Take two things that you definitely would not like. Would you rather this one or that one, right? Would you rather uh, for the rest of the, your life you, you have no central heating uh, or air conditioning or you have no internet, which, you know, is a would you rather? I think after our experience in this barn for some time without AC, really, definitely we're keeping the AC. Just one comment, Jesus and his disciples didn't have either of those things. Would you rather find a rat in your kitchen pantry or a cockroach in your bed, right? Would you rather? It's two things. I, won't, I don't want either of those, but if I had to choose one, what would it be, right? How about this? Would you rather cause a child of God to sin or have a millstone tied around your neck and be thrown in the ocean and drowned? Jesus answered that last week, didn't he? Two things equally, or two things bad, but which one would you rather? What's your heart response to that? I mean, Jesus, back in verse 6, just one verse before this, he said, but whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. What's his answer? I would rather have the stone around my neck and be thrown into the depths of the sea than to cause a child of God to sin. That response requires a view of sin that is not natural to us. 
right? We grew up our, with the flesh where, where sin is something that is actually appealing to us. And then we're very selfish in that where we're more worried about ourselves than someone else. And so to take that a step further, what do I care about whether someone else sins? But Jesus' view of sin is such that he would rather have a millstone hung around his neck and be thrown in the sea and drowned than to cause someone else to sin. How bad is sin? Do we understand it? Do we see it? Woe to the world for temptations to sin. What would we fill in that blank? Well, we just saw what the whole world went through with the pandemic, right? Economies of the world are, are suffering now much worse than actually our economy. We're, we've got it pretty good compared to a lot of the rest of the world. Uh, woe to the world for the pandemic, right, for, for, for the effects of it. How about war? We're, we're all watching the news and seeing war that's, that's being acted out now. We're just even the threat of war. Maybe woe to the world for, for power-hungry leaders among nations flexing their military might, trying to conquer and expand their borders. Or maybe closer to home. In the last month, we've had three, if I understand right, three young people lose their lives to fentanyl in our school system within Hayes. And just this last Friday, had a memorial service. That one touched closer to home, didn't it? Families that are closer to families in our church. Woe to the world for drug cartels, for, for those who prey on our kids who would, just to make a dollar, bring, target our kids even. I mean, woe to the world for these things. And, and when, when, when that happens, I mean, we watched some of the, the Friday night service on, online that was over at Fellowship, and my wife is going, we need our kids to watch this, right? Because what you're thinking is, our kids need to be aware. It, it, this, it, on campus, our kids need to be aware, or even off campus, it, it might seem like, oh, it's not a big deal. The rest, you know, there's influences there that are saying this isn't a big deal, but, but this is a big deal. It's, it's death, right? And, and, and to just, just to get your head and to be warned, we want to warn them that there's danger here. And, and others might be saying, no, this is a good thing. Try it. It's a good thing. But, but behind them, behind all of that, there, there's, there's those who have no concern for your good. They are looking to make a dollar and they're pushing this in. Know that. We want you to understand that. And our concern for our kids when something like this happens, we just say, look, beware. Do you realize that's the same thing God, our Father, is doing to his children here saying, look at sin. I want you to beware. This is deadly. This will destroy you, and, and, and there's forces behind, even as you're saying, no, this is good, and those around you are saying, no, try it, it's okay. 
There's forces behind that that have no, absolutely no desire for your good. They actually desire your harm. The ruler of this world would have you fall into sin. And so Jesus is saying with a perspective that's God's perspective of sin that we struggle to to understand, but it's true. Woe to the world for temptations to sin. And as I hear that warning, as a child of God, being told by my father, beware of this. I need to ask, and this is the first, first point in the notes. The question in my heart needs to be, what is my attitude towards sin? I'm a child of God, being warned and directed by God to treat this seriously. What is my attitude towards sin? You know, Jesus continues on in this passage with some, some much more obvious would-you-rathers, right? We, that, the one with temp, causing someone else to, to fall into sin versus being drowned in the ocean. My, you know, my, my heart first kind of goes to, well, I'd rather not be drowned in the ocean, right? And, and that's their problem. And that's where my heart goes. And so I, I have to fix my heart to be able to have the same response to that as, as Jesus, but... But in these, it's, there's no question. I, it's, it's obvious um, what the answer is going to be uh, in verse 8. And if your hand or foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to enter life crippled or lame than with two hands or two feet be thrown into the eternal fire. So here's the question. Would you rather enter life and go through it crippled or lame or be thrown into eternal fire? And that's an easy one. I don't want to be thrown into eternal fire. Let me go through life crippled or lame. Or how about if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It's better for you to enter life with one eye than with two eyes be thrown into the hell of fire. You know, would you rather go through life with one eye or be thrown into the hell of fire? And, and, and it's, it's an obvious one. Unless, I don't know, you're not breathing I don't want to go through the hell of fire. I don't want eternity and suffering. That, that's what's being described here. And Jesus has a perspective of eternity. He sees what sin brings about. Death. And here's what we should see in this. This is sin. If the thing causes you to sin, remove it because sin leads to this place of eternal fire, of being thrown into the hell of fire. Here's a second point and something that's very important for us to just know about sin. Sin provokes the wrath of God. It's always been and it will always be. Sin provokes the wrath of God. In, in sin, maybe you're not sure, what is sin? Sin is anything against God, anything less than, than what is good and right as God has defined what is good and right. As if I disobey God, if I, 
if I have pride in my heart against God, if I'm rebellious against God, if I, if I want to do things my way instead of God's way, any of that constitutes sin. And, and what we see around us in the world is the effects of sin, the outworking of sin. We don't recognize it that way. But the world is broken because we have rejected God fundamentally. That, that's sin. And, and, and sin provokes the wrath of God because God is good, because God is righteous. And in his nature, he, he can't allow sin, right? It will provoke his wrath. And that's what Jesus is describing here. It would be better if my hand is causing me to sin, to cut it off and not be led into the place of the wrath of God. And now, now right here, I need, I need to stop and make you realize something. And if, you, if this hasn't been you, this is very important for you to understand. What Jesus did on the cross addresses this problem because what? We are sinful. And Jesus just described what the wrath of God looks like, eternal hell fire. Jesus solved this problem. That's why he came, was to save us from the wrath of God, the righteous and just wrath of God. And so there's a big word in the Bible called propitiation, and that means Jesus stands in our place to receive God's wrath for us. That's grace. We don't deserve that. Nothing we did to deserve that. It's not because of how good I am that he did that. He, he, he came and died on the cross even while I was his enemy. While we were his enemies, he died for us. And he has now stood in, in this place so, so that anyone who puts their faith in Jesus, trusts him as their Lord and Savior, will not experience judgment for sin. They have passed from death into life. And, and, and even as we continue to struggle and, and deal with sin in our lives, Jesus stands for us in the place to receive God's wrath on our behalf. God has not stopped responding to sin with wrath. And something for us to understand, we can be complacent about sin because it's like, it's raining cats and dogs outside, and you know, we're coming in from the outside, we feel the weight of the rain, and then we come inside, the roof is taking the rain. Ah, I don't even worry about rain anymore. No, the rain's still there. The wrath of God is still there. Jesus is taking the wrath of God for us, has taken already, complete, and done. God knew every sin I would commit. Jesus has already paid for it. His, his payment is sufficient for all of it. But as I stand in God's grace, what is my attitude towards sin? Does it match God's attitude towards sin? Jesus' attitude towards sin? Is my attitude complacent? Is it indifferent? It doesn't really matter whether I sin or not. Maybe it's just ignorant. I just don't understand sin. And that's why we go to God's Word, to understand these things. Boy, Jesus is warning us here. I mean, our, our kids, a big part within our schools, a kid is not, uh, it's not 
complacency as much as it is ignorance, right? It, it's, it's, they don't know. They don't realize. And, and if they could just be, it's like, kids, wake up and see. And, and, and kids, let me tell you, if there's any temptation to follow that path, and there will be because especially these last two years, depression has just skyrocketed, right? You want a way out. That is not a way out that leads to life. There is a way out. That's what Jesus came for, and in him there is life. Church, pray for the family that just lost. I can't imagine losing my son. Pray for them. Noah Rodriguez and his he was the one that passed away. His family is going to be walking through this, right? They got a new baby. They got other siblings, right? It's, this is real life. And we need to pray that God would just surround them with his comfort. Jesus is the way out of desperation. He is the way out uh, of, of the, the deepest and darkest places. That's when you hold on to God the tightest. And, and kids, it's a lie from the pit of hell from the enemy to say, I can take this pill and it's going to lead me out of this. No. Death and destruction, that's what the enemy wants for you. But in Jesus, there is life. What is my attitude? Is it complacent? Is it indifferent? Do I truly get that just as much as before Christ, that even now, the wages of sin is death? Sin brings on wrath of God. Even as Jesus stands in my place, I need to still realize. What is my experience when I sin now that I stand in the grace of God? It's not without consequence. So Jesus took the wrath of God for my sin. He paid for my sin so that I could walk with him, so that I could walk in fellowship with God. God lives in the light apart from sin. If I am still walking in sin, letting sin rule in my life, letting the flesh do its thing. I'm going to be miserable because I am a child of God who is not enjoying fellowship with God. Right? I'm going to feel that. When my kids, uh, we finally finished setting up a ramp in the backyard, and part of it was to put some pieces of plywood down on the grass. What happens to the grass when you put plywood on it? Right after it's been some time, you pick up that plywood and it's yellow, it's sickly looking. There's all these, that's where you're going to find a cockroach, right? You're going to find all these bugs that just love that dark, yucky. It's outside of the light, right? It's been, it's been covered from the light. And what happens then in Texas especially, not so much in California, there's no rain. In Texas... You, you pull up that piece of wood and, and light comes in, right? Light and water and, and the soil has nutrients in it and, and, and it starts to come alive and green and everything. That's, that board is like the, our sin. It separates us from God, separates us from the light. It separates us from the nutrients that we need. Everything that we need in God, sin blocks us. We don't have fellowship with God and we start becoming sickly in our lives. 
right? And it, does, it attracts bugs, all that nastiness. It, it just our attitudes, everything we do, everything starts to suffer from it. Don't think that your sin only affects you. Your family will suffer too. And, and, then, and then we realize this sin, Lord, and, and hopefully as a believer, this process is faster and faster where you realize the sin and then you confess it to God. In 1 John 1, 9, if you confess your sin, he's faithful and just to forgive you and to cleanse you. And that board is pulled off your life and light comes in and you begin to thrive again. And then the next day comes. I got this, Lord. I don't need to do it your way. I'm going to do this, things my way. Foom. Board just slams on my life, all that new growth. <laughs> right? That, that's what it's like. When, when we allow sin into our lives, we don't experience the wrath of God, but we have broken fellowship with God, and our life begins to stink. Right? It, it becomes sickly. Did I just lose my paper? No. I, this. Oh, thank you. I appreciate it. My fellowship is broken. Look in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 3 through 8. Actually, I have it on another paper. Let me do this way. Paul speaking to those in Ephesus, he says, but sexual immorality, we're talking about sin if you haven't got that, sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetousness, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. And let me tell you, believer, if you put your faith in Christ, that's not who you are. Right? But to even joke about such things, you're saying that... This, is, this takes a perspective of sin to realize how deadly and how disgusting it is to God to say, don't even joke about things. Don't even talk about such things. Let no one deceive you, he says in verse 6, with empty words, for because of these things, what? The wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Do you realize the wrath of God is still coming? The world around us is about to experience the wrath of God. When he does finally come, and it's because of these things, why do we treat them lightly? Therefore, he says, do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk that way. Walk as children of the light. See, a right view of sin comes out of a fear of the Lord, right? A right view of, of the way things are. I need to fear God as He is. That's part of the fear of the Lord is He is a God who will visit wrath upon sin. I mean, that's, that's who He is. 
And a right view of sin and a right practice in my life also comes from a deep abiding love for the Lord. I know how bad sin is because I see it in light of a holy God. I know how dark darkness is because I've seen light in God. And, and I don't want the darkness. I want the light. And when there's sin in my life that blocks out the light, my love for God and the love for His holiness, love for His fellowship in my life causes me to walk right. So what is my attitude towards sin? There, there, there's an, an attitude that I want us to be aware of, to beware of. This is our third point. Beware of arrogance towards sin. Arrogance towards sin. The Bible deals with this a lot. New Testament deals with this. In the church, arrogance towards sin. It, you know, the presence of sin is one thing. First John chapter 1 says, if anyone says you don't have sin, you're a liar, right? We all deal with sin, and we're going to deal with sin until we get rid of this flesh, and we get a new body, and then, praise the Lord, we're going to be free of this forever. But, but we still deal with sin, but, but, but what God is really concerned about in you and me right now is our attitude towards sin and this attitude of arrogance to say it doesn't really matter. It's no big deal. Can you get already from what we've been looking at how wrong that is in God's eyes? It's like my kids. After, after telling them all of these things about what to beware of, they say, oh, it's no big deal. No, it is. And don't be arrogant about it. You need to get this. Arrogance towards sin. You know, God will deal with an arrogant heart. And we see it right away in the New Testament. As the church is just beginning in chapter 5, Ananias and Sapphira, this couple, they're believers. And all of the believers, the Spirit of God is working among the new church and, and they're all selling their things and bringing the, the proceeds to the, to the disciples, to the apostles, so that then that can be spread out and meet the needs of the whole community. It's this amazing selfless thing that's going on there. And Ananias and Sapphira say, we're going to do that too. And they sell their property, but then they lie about it. They say, yes, here's the money from the property, but they have kept back something else, right? It would have been just fine if they had not lied about it, but there was an arrogance in their heart as they were lying not just to the apostles but to the Spirit of God. And as they came and brought the offering, first Ananias came and brought it to Peter and Peter said, why have you lied? Ananias fell dead. That's God responding in the life of a believer to arrogance towards sin, right? And, and then his wife comes up later not knowing what happened and she repeats the same lie and she falls dead. And look at, the, look at the result that happened there in Acts chapter 5, verse 11. It says, And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard these things. A fear of the Lord, a healthy fear of God, a seriousness about sin, about lying to God, about this new life is a life to be lived in holiness, to take sin seriously, to not be arrogant about our sin. And God used that to guard the hearts of that new church in how they treated sin. Or <clears throat> 1 Corinthians chapter 11, um, 
where they're taking, they're, they're, we, go, we go there for communion, right? Every time we take communion together, we, we quote out of that. Paul's teaching about communion. But what was he actually te- addressing there? He was teaching them about a communion because they were doing it wrong. They had these love feasts. They'd come together. It's the Lord's Supper is what they're supposed to be doing. But instead, it was, a, it was worse that they came together. It was disunity. There was people coming, making a feast out of it, not, not observing the Lord's Supper, but making a feast for those who had much and those who had little were left to go hungry. There was an arrogance of sin at work within that community. What, what did Paul tell them? He said, <clears throat> after, after rebuking them in 1 Corinthians 11.30, he said, That is why many of you are weak and ill. Some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, if our heart understood our sin as it is, if we weren't arrogant in our hearts towards sin, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord... We are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. There was sickness and even death coming within them. That was God disciplining them. Say, look, take sin seriously. God will address an arrogant heart. Or how about arrogance within the elders? How serious is it that John and I treat sin seriously? Absolutely. What damage does it do to the body of Christ if we're complacent about sin? And so as Paul is talking to Timothy, he tells him uh, at the end of 1 Timothy, uh, in chapter 5, verse 19, he says, First, do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. If there's an accusation against an elder, he says, you need more than one witness. But then he follows it by saying, as for those who persist in sin, as for those elders who persist in sin, there's an accusation has come against them. What should, what should an elder do? What should the attitude of... See, John and I are not exempt from sin. And if we're caught in sin, the big question on the table is, what is your heart towards sin? We should immediately be repenting. Immediately be remorseful for that sin. But what if that elder continues in sin? As for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all. All the elders, probably all the church. So that the rest, especially the rest of the elders, but the rest of the body may stand in fear. You see, God wants us to take sin seriously and especially a leader of the church, if there's a complacent, arrogant sin happening, that's going to draw people away. Address it. Let fear be there among the elders in the church of, no, this is serious. But that requires us to see sin as God sees it. And this is to help bring that about. You know, there's two situations in the New Testament where we have church discipline. If you're not familiar with that, it's, it's God's design within the church of dealing with sin, right? And, and church discipline would be when there is a, a church rebuke, and, and usually that's breaking a fellowship with a, with a person, right? To say, no longer can you come here. 
There's only two cases, two situations, and, and, and one of them is that person who causes division, right? It's the, the wolf in sheep's clothing, the person that looks like a believer, but they are actually dividing and drawing people away from God, away from the gospel, right? But then the other is when we encounter arrogance towards sin. I'm just fine. There isn't a brokenness in the heart. And notice, this is where, this is where there's a lot of confusion and we get things wrong. It's not the presence of sin. It's the arrogance towards sin that becomes serious. And the scripture shows us what to do. And you see church discipline come about. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Here's an example of that. Paul's writing to the Corinthian church, and he says, It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that is not tolerated even among pagans. For a man has his father's wife, and you are arrogant. It's not just arrogance of this man who's like, I could just do this. It's the arrogance of the whole church just saying, this is no big deal. And that's what he's addressing is it a terrible sin? Yes, it's a terrible sin. There's lots of terrible sins. If someone has a, a terrible sin in their life and they come through those doors, they are welcome here. But are we as a church going to say, oh, that sin is no big deal. That's the issue. And when you have a church whose heart is arrogant about sin, it's no big deal. We don't share God's view of sin. That's when we need to deal with it. He says... Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. And later on, in his next letter, he's saying, all right, let him back in. This is an example of church discipline, and it's dealing with arrogance towards sin, arrogance in the heart of the church. When Jesus says, cut off a foot, What's happening here? We're the body of Christ. To, to break off someone from the body is to, is to cut off a foot because of sin. But it's better to go down a difficult path like this than for what? Than for your church to be destroyed by sin. And in the end, you're healthy and you have a view and a, and a fear of the Lord. And as a church, you're able to walk in the light free from sin. So Jesus here, I hope you get that he's using hyperbole. He's not condoning bodily mutilation, right? It's an extreme picture to convey the weight of what he's talking about. Sin is serious. And sometimes it does require us to do the hard thing as a church. I'm, can you imagine what, how that will go down? There's going to be a lot of friction in the church if you're saying no. There's an if there's an arrogance in the heart of the church, then you know there's going to be conflict if you say, no, this is serious. This brother or sister in Christ can no longer fellowship with us for some time. You might get kickback on that. It's the hard thing. But, but in our own life, personally, 
to deal with sin, there's going to be the hard thing. Where do you struggle most with sin? Here's the last point. Question for myself, for each of us. Am I willing to do the hard thing? Not literally cutting off a hand or a foot, but something that might feel like that. Maybe it's changing your job. You've got the best job ever, but it is full of temptation to sin. And you are not strong enough spiritually to deal with it. Maybe there's a person who's there in your workplace and they're, and they're drawing you down in, into practices and you are not strong enough right now spiritually to deal with that. Are you willing to give up a good job? Would you rather? I'm just, it's another would you rather. Fellowship with God or keep a good job? What's the hard thing? What, what is the area where you struggle the most? Uh, there's always a struggle. I wish I could say, you know, you reach a point and no more struggle with sin. <laughs> nope. But what are you willing to do? And, and it requires going to see the seriousness of sin. If we can capture that, if, if God can, can impress on our hearts how bad it is, then, then we're able to make the right choices. Maybe it requires removing something from your home. Maybe it requires moving the computer to a different place. Or installing software on the computer that, that brings accountability, that brings visibility, and, and so that other people can see that too. Maybe, maybe, maybe the hard thing is just inviting a brother or sister in Christ into that struggle, saying, look... I need accountability. I need to be able to, to know that, that when, I, when I fall into this sin, that it's not just me, there's someone else who's going to know about it. And so that's like cutting off a hand. This thing is causing me to sin. What can I do offensively, not defensively, but offensively to, to change something in my life, to, to guard against that sin because I see how bad that sin is and I don't want to fall into it again. We are called church to help each other in this. We're going to get it later. And chapter 18 is all about sin. <laughs> Sorry, we're going to talk about sin through the whole chapter. It's not just about sin, it's about salvation from sin. God's plan to free us from the, the effects of death, of sin in our lives. Some of you know some of my story. Years and years and years of, of struggling with pornography. And it was, it was doing what sin does, right? Anytime I tried to just, okay, God, I'm all for you. Let me, let me take some time in fasting and, and, and then just in prayer before you, seek your will in my life. And, and all that did was bring me to a place where very clearly I could see this needs to be dealt with in your life, David. What was the hard thing for me? It took me decades, 20 years of my marriage to get to the point where I had the courage to do the hard thing and that was to talk to my wife and say, here's what's been a struggle for me. And the board was lifted off the grass. 
the light of fellowship, not just with God, but with my wife. And, there, and then there was cockroaches and all sorts of nastiness that, that didn't even know was there that just pushed out of our marriage. And, and it was difficult, yes. But it was good because life entered our marriage that we didn't even realize was missing. Is there still temptation? Absolutely. Woe to the world. Woe to me for temptations that exist in the world. What are some limbs that I have cut off? Because I don't want that in my life. I've got the kids app on my phone, right, that protect, the, the parents use to, to be able to see what activity, so my wife can see what's on my phone, right? It's, now I have to deal with a phone that's, some of the features don't work like they should because would you rather have a phone that doesn't have all its features working right or have a temptation that's constantly causing you to fall into sin? No, I want that temptation out of my life. Get it out of here. I value my wife. I value my relationship with God. What is the hard thing that God might be putting in front of you to say, here, make this change? And you're like, no, I can't because of... And you might list three very important things that would be life-changing for you. Well, the most life-changing thing that you can put into your life is the presence of fellowship with God. And it doesn't matter how much you have. doesn't matter how, how much esteem you have in the face of the world. doesn't matter where you're at. Nothing compares to what we have in the grace and presence and fellowship with God. It is all worth it. There's nothing too hard. God's purpose in all of this is not to bring about condemnation. We were already condemned. It's to bring about salvation, freedom, to walk in the light as He is in the light. He wants us to take sin seriously. So then we'll do the right thing. So we'll do the hard thing. So we can enjoy his goodness, enjoy his character, enjoy what true love is, his joy and peace and fellowship with him. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you for your good purpose in our lives. And all we have to do is trust you. And that's so hard. But if we'll trust you and we'll obey you, your promises, you are here with us. Your Holy Spirit is working in us. You are our provider. You will not leave us or forsake us. We can trust you, and in trusting you, there is life. Trusting you with our sin, trusting you with the outcomes. Lord, there was no guarantee that my marriage would be better by confessing to my wife, but I knew I could trust you no matter what the outcome, that it would be better than to live apart from you, separated from you by sin in my life. Lord, I just pray that you give each person here courage, whatever it is. Lord, we're always on a journey dealing with sin and there's always a step to be made that your Holy Spirit is working in us. I pray that you just bring about courage, comfort. Lord, to know that, that it'll be all right if we take that step, that Lord, it'll be taking us to a place of peace 
and rest in you. Lord, if there's anyone here who hasn't given you their life, that they're, they're still living among the world, among those who are condemned, Lord, help them see there is life in you. And they don't have to do anything but trust you. And your Holy Spirit will enter in. Your forgiveness will wash over. And, and Lord, what, a new life will begin in their heart just because they have turned to you and to trust you with their life. Lord, I just pray that if there's anyone here who has not trusted you for salvation, this would be the time. If that's you, there's no special prayer. You just say, Lord Jesus, I trust you. I want to give you my life. I want to follow you. I want to do things your way now. Lord Jesus, I pray that you put into our hearts as a church a seriousness about sin because God, what I want, what we want is to be a body that walks in fellowship with the head of our church, the Lord Jesus Christ, who has been given to us so that he may fill all of us with his Holy Spirit. Lord, that's, that's the truth of your word and that's what we want. And we want to walk in that as a church and the blessing of that and the power of that and to see that work through us to an effect in this community, Lord. And, and to do that, I absolutely know we have to take sin seriously. We need to be a, a, a church that's broken towards sin, not arrogant towards sin. Bring that about in our hearts, Lord. Let us walk in your light as you are in the light. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing. How great the chasm that lay between us. How high the mountain I could not climb. Desperation, I turned to heaven and spoke your name into the night. Then, through the darkness, your love and kindness it tore through the shadows of my soul. The work is finished. The end is written, Jesus Christ, my living hope. Who could imagine so great a mercy? What heart could fathom such boundless grace? The God of ages stepped down from glory to wear my sin and bear my shame. The cross has spoken and I am forgiven. The King of kings calls me his own. Beautiful Savior, I'm yours forever. My Jesus Christ, my living hope. Oh, 
hallelujah praise the one who sent me free hallelujah death has lost his grip on me you have broken every chain there's salvation in your name jesus christ my living hope oh hallelujah praise the one who set me free hallelujah death has lost his grip on me you have broken every chain there's salvation in your name jesus christ my living home and then came the morning that sealed the promise your very body began to breathe out of the silence the roaring lion declared the grave has no claim on me then came the morning that sealed the promise your buried body began to breathe out of the silence the roaring lion the grave has no claim on me. Jesus, yours is the victory. Oh, oh hallelujah. Praise the one who set me free. Hallelujah. Death has lost his grip on me. Every chain and there's salvation in your name, Jesus Christ, my living hope. Hallelujah! Praise the one who sent me free. Hallelujah! Death has lost its grip on me. You have broken every chain. Salvation in your name, Jesus Christ, my living hope. Jesus Christ, my living hope. Jesus Christ, my living hope. Amen. He is our living hope. That's, that's not just a hope from 2,000 years ago. It's a hope of, of our Jesus Christ living now in our lives in fellowship with Him. That's life. doesn't matter what you're going through. doesn't matter how, how deep, how high. Walk through that with Jesus Christ, our living hope. I love you, church. Go in the Lord.